Welcome to Rework, a podcast by 37 Signals about the better way to work and run your business. I'm your host, Kimberly Rhodes, and this week we're diving into a topic that came up organically a few podcasts ago, which is when you're buying any sort of product or service, you're not just buying that one thing. You're also buying some additional perks and maybe some downfalls that go along with it. So joining me to talk about this are the founders of 37 Signals, Jason Freed and David Heinemeyer Hansen. Guys, I think we started talking about this when it came to electric cars. I think that's how that discussion came up. Like, what are you really buying? You're not just buying the car. Who wants to take that? I'll start with with something separate from buying. I, I, I think of uh, when I spend my money, I feel like I'm voting actually more so. And so, you know, what do I, what am I voting for? And it could be I'm voting for innovation. It could be I'm voting for ease of use. It could be I'm voting for taste or flavor, whatever it is. Um, it also could be I'm voting for the type of company I want to support and what, they, what they're what they into, the choices they make. I don't know. There's a bunch of different things. It's not simply, at least when I buy, it's not simply like what is the product? Because truthfully, pretty much everything today is good enough. Most things are quite good, in fact. So it's all the little small things that that sort of get me excited about the kind of companies that I like to support. And I think Tesla here, as we talked about last time, is a great example of voting for someone to rethink things from scratch, that someone has to go first and someone has to push the boundaries. And even if the end result isn't the perfect car in the example of Tesla, there's just something really endearing to going like, you know what? Um, this whole industry, this whole shift of electric cars would not have been happening on this timeline we're currently on unless this company had been doing what they've been doing. That is worth something material that you're voting for a kind of uh, forward thinkingness and a kind of innovation. And I think what's interesting here is is to do so as part of a trade off that, for example, for a while I didn't have this perspective on Tesla, I saw a bunch of the negative things. Oh, I don't like how they're rolling out autopilot. I don't feel like that's the right name for it. Or any other nickel I might pick at and go like, do you know what? That's not quite the thing. And where I changed my mind on Tesla's in particular, well, first of all, I drove some of the later cars and I realized, you know what? Even something like a car, especially something like a Tesla, I think, you got to update your priors quite frequently. You might have looked at something two years ago, three years ago, four years ago. But if the company is really firing on all cylinders at once, that product might be very different. But let's just take it at face value and say there's some trade-offs involved. There's some things you don't like. Um, that, to me, is where it really comes up, that I'm putting a vote for something that matters more than some surface-level polish, for example, in one case. But I think the other thing that's interesting here is like you don't have to be uniform in all your buying decisions. There can be some times you go like, you know what, in this instant, on this topic, I really care about supporting this. And also, I'm not going to dive into, I don't know, the full ethical accounting of how my burger is made. Do you know what? Right now, I'm just on a freaking road trip. I need a burger. Here's a stop. It looks fine. Good enough. You can't always do the full accounting on every little bit of it. But when you do and you choose to do so, um, it's just an interesting exercise. It just makes the whole marketplace more fun when you can evaluate it on more things than just like uh, the size of a panel gap, for example. Okay, so let's talk about your business and 37 Signals, because obviously we're making software. But what are the other things people are buying? And secondary question, did you guys think about those secondary things as you were building the business? Or did they just kind of naturally come about? Well, I, I think it depends uh, who you are. So if if you're a small business owner, 
you might want to, and, and you're a bootstrap small business owner, you might want to support us because you, we're a smaller business and we're a bootstrap business. And so it's, each person's going to find their own um, vector for the things that are important to them. I think for us, a couple things that are important to us, like we want to really take care of our customers. So we provide really, really, really good customer service, including on things like email, which is our, our primary, the biggest, I mean, they're not even a competitor. They dominate us, Gmail. Good luck in ever getting a reply from, from Google uh, if you have a question about your mail or you have an issue with your email or whatever. Like we want to make sure we take care of customers no matter what product they use, no matter what they're paying for, basically. So that's something that's important to us. And if that's important to you, then you might weigh that more than... Well, this other product is free and yours char- you charge money for yours. So you might go, I'm willing to pay for that, you know, or maybe I'm willing not to pay for that. It sort of depends where you're coming from. Um, I think uh, also longevity, the idea that, um, especially in this, in this world, in this SaaS world specifically, where all your data, I mean, you have, when, whenever you buy a SaaS product, you put so much trust in the vendor. Like the primary thing you're trusting is they're going to be around like the most fundamental thing that like this company will be around in a year because if they're not, my data is not, my stuff is gone. My tools are gone. All the training I put my customer, my staff and maybe my customers through is gone. So longevity and stability is a really important thing. I think some people buy that from us because we've been around for 25 years, almost 25 years. And they've seen that we've, we've, you know, been through this and been through that and been through this ebb and been through that flow and the whole thing we're still around. So some people really feel like that is important to them. So I don't think there's a certain set of criteria that are equal for everybody. It it just depends on what you're coming from, what's important to you. Another example here is we have a lot of customers who perhaps use some of our open source projects or have otherwise benefited from some of these side projects that we're doing. Maybe they've adopted ShapeUp. Maybe they've done something else. And they're going, do you know what? I'm not paying for these things. I'm not paying for the open source. I'm not paying for the ShapeUp methodology. I'm not paying for any of the byproducts at all. Maybe I don't care that much whether I'm using Basecamp or some other tool, but I will pick Basecamp on account of the fact that they are involved in the type of activities that I benefit from in other ways, and that's a way to give back and support it. There are, of course, plenty of our customers who are like, I'm picking Basecamp because I did a thorough head-to-head analysis compared to the other tools, and like this just won out, and like, awesome, that's wonderful. But as Jason says, oftentimes people will simply just latch on to some vector of evaluation and go like, do you want in this domain? I don't care that much. I think a great example for us here is what we're using to distribute this podcast. There are a bunch of different podcast distribution platforms out there. And as Jason also said, the vast majority of them are great. They're good. Like this is to some extent a solved problem to the degree that the baseline is quite high. You're not going to pick in most cases, at least not that I've heard of. You're not going to pick a host so bad that it's just terrible, never delivers your podcast, everything's just broken all the time. They would go out of business in about five seconds because the space is competitive. And when that's the case, when we look at something like podcast hosting, it doesn't, we're not going to be super swayed on this feature versus that feature. We don't actually use that much of it. So it's other things that matter. And we've just switched to Buzzsprout in part because of those other things. The team behind Buzzsprout has been really active in the Rails community. They use Ruby on Rails to build their product. They were very present at Rails World. I got a wonderful opportunity to talk to one of the co-founders, Tom Rossi, who we've corresponded with many times over the years. And I just go like, do you know what? I really like Tom. I really like the team. I like the ethos they're going into. They're also bootstrapped. They're also self-funded. I like where they're going. Do you know what? We should just use them. 
It doesn't matter that much in the other criteria which one we use. But I want to support Tom. I want to support Tom's team. I think the way he's putting back in at Rails World, the conference, for example, they paid to have this booth where a bunch of podcasters could just show up at the conference and tape their podcast. And we got a bunch of great podcasts out of it, supporting the community. You got, this is correct. This is the kind of company I'd like to do business with. That feeling, this is the kind of company I'd like to do business with, really counts for a lot. And it counts for even more when the product is not so unique that no one else has it. When that's the case, you know what? People can complain and moan about, let's say, the iPhone. I have all sorts of complaints about it. Do you know what? There aren't 12 alternatives here. There's one other major platform. There's the Google platform. And I have my own complaints about Google. And you're kind of stuck picking between one of these two things. Then the decision doesn't come down. Oh, which one do I like better? I like neither of them all that much. <laughs> I'm picking out other things here. But when it comes to something where you do have the choice, when the marketplace is actually truly competitive, then it's so much easier to go, I want to support that kind of company. And then feel good about your vote. Right? You're not voting between the lesser of two evils. I think anyone casting an actual vote in the political domain will know that feeling very well. You're casting a vote between the lesser of two evils. In a truly competitive space, you often do get the choice to put your vote for someone you really believe in. And that's just this magic feeling. Yeah, like another way to think about this is that this is not the primary case, but I think it's pretty common that you actually buy the company more so than the product. And this is true about brand, of course, at the, at the highest scale. Uh, people are fans of a brand and will buy anything that they make. They're not even really evaluating the product. They just assume it's going to be good. And even if it's not, they don't kind of don't care because they like the brand. But at a small scale, that's true too. Like, like David was saying about Tom and, and Buzzsprout, like the idea that we want to support this company. We want to support the people behind the company. And we know their product's going to be, it's probably great. But at the very least, it's totally adequate. They are what we're buying. And I think that this is something that we've been trying to uh, impart on people as well. So when you support us, you're supporting a bootstrap company. You're supporting a company that's not here to go out of business. We're not here to exit. We're here to stick around for a long time. We're here to put our money where our mouth is. We don't kick people off old versions of our products. We support our stuff until the end of the internet, as we say, or the end of our business, which whatever comes first. But we're here. We're here. And so people who are like, I want a company that's going to be around for me. They might choose us, even if, let's say, our product is only an 80% fit for what they want. It's better to 80% if they know it's going to be here in five years than 94% it's going to be gone in a year and a half because the company they'd be buying from would go out of business or would be sold and the product would be killed. So everyone's got a different uh, degree of um, or variables that they, that they play here. But um, I, think it's, I think buying the company, there's actually an old adage in like, I'm into vintage watches. When, when you buy a vintage watch from a dealer, they say you're buying the seller because it's, you have to trust. You have to trust this, this old object has probably been touched by 150 people over the last 30 years. Like the vintage watch world is a minefield of, of scams and, and ripoffs and fakes and the whole thing. So you got to buy the seller is what they say. You buy the seller. You buy from somebody who you trust and you trust them to produce something for you that is, that is correct because you're not going to be able to check every little last detail. So I think in, in many cases, buying the seller is what I'm talking about here. You're buying the company, not always just the product. That's the essence of having good reputation. That is the essence of commerce throughout history, that having a good reputation actually truly matters. And I think what's so 
endearing about reputation is it's the kind of competitive advantage where you can go toe-to-toe with the biggest companies in the business. We often go against, if you will, Google on all sorts of different domains. Google has kind of a tarnished reputation amongst a certain set of technology buyers, in part because they keep killing products that people love and give them an opportunity to continue to use it. So that opens the door for us to express a difference in how we go to market. That's not how we go to market. When we launch something, we stand behind it. And even to a fault, even to make a point, I mean, we've talked about Tadalis quite a few times, but that is exactly why that product still exists. It is a sort of stake in our reputation. It's not about the specifics of the products. It's proving a point that even a free to-do list manager that we launched back in 2005 is important enough to us and to the customers who still, well, I shouldn't even call the customers. In this case, it's actually correct to call users. They're not paying us anything for this thing. To keep it running is a testament to the fact that we're proving the point that we will be sticking around. And every single time Google kills a new beloved service by some subset of their consumers, it is an opportunity for us to highlight that difference, to show, do you know what? There are different ways of running a business. And I'm not saying that Google is, quote unquote, doing it the wrong way, even if I have a different opinion. I am saying that there are people who will place a value in the reputation, for example, on this point that we have for keeping our stuff around for the long term. That if you bought Basecamp in 2008 and you just loved that first version of Basecamp, even after we stopped adding new features to it back in 2010, you still get to run it and use it. And some of our biggest fans are fans of that, right? That They're fans of the company. They're fans of a product, even if it isn't our latest stuff. I think, Jason, you bring up vintage watches. I think another great example we've talked about in the past is vintage cars. There's a huge fan group of people who adore a certain generation of cars. The Porsche 911 air-cooled era, for example, just has its fanatics. They don't want a water-cooled car. They don't care that it's better or whatever. Their love affair with the Porsche brand is very much predicated on the fact that Porsche takes care of its legacy and values that legacy. Now, all that being said, I think you also got to recognize that the sword cuts the other way, that there are people who will never buy anything from us because they think I'm an idiot or they think Jason is an idiot or they read something that we wrote one time that they vehemently disagreed with. And do you know what? That is part of what's good. Like that's how we bring order in the universe, that there are some people who really enjoy going all in on a company and being even, dare we say it, fans of a company. And it has to also create that there's going to be a group of people who really dislike it. Tesla is another great example. I mean, they, they're led by a CEO who's a highly polarizing figure. And some people will buy their cars because of that polarization. And some people will never even consider the car, no matter how good it is, no matter how well it fits into their lives because of that, right? Um, now, I think we used to be more on that. And I've kind of tried to take two or three or five steps back from that level of investment into saying, I can't buy something that I like, the burger example, because I hadn't done a full ethical accounting of all the steps in it. I think, you know what, sometimes you also just got to pick five things. I'm going to do a full accounting on five things I buy. I'm going to do accounting on my project management tool, my car and my vintage watch. That's where I'm going to buy the seller. And then I'm also going to live my freaking life the rest of the time. Out of the 1,000 purchase decisions I make over the course of a month, I'm not going to review every one of them into the finest detail. 
Okay, David, I have a question because you brought up that some people might not be buying for whatever reason. Do you think there's a way to come back? Meaning if someone's like, nope, totally turned off by one thing I read, is there a way to get a second chance? Or do you just like move on and don't worry about it? I think that's a great question because, I mean, now we've really worn this example almost uh, to its threats. But Tesla, I used to be in camp, no effing way Tesla. Like, I don't care. I don't want that. I don't actually fully appreciate the product. And then partly, they just kept improving. And I started seeing some things from different angles. And it ended up where I flipped. I, I just bought a new Tesla here recently. And I just drove my kids to school in it this morning. And I was like, you know what? That's so funny. If I think back three or four years, I would have gone like, you, you're never going to catch me dead in a Tesla. You're just not. I don't like how it looks. I don't like the autopilot thing. I don't like a bunch of things around it. And you know what? Having the intellectual and even emotional honesty to revisit your conclusions, I try to treat that as a feature, that I'm not set in stone that I've formed one image or perception of a company or of a person to the point that there's nothing that they can say or do, or I can realize that they've said in the past that turns out to be different. And then I can change my position. I think having that level of fluidity, the capacity to revisit your priors, to go, do you know what? On this one issue, I was wrong. Like I was wrong for myself. I was cutting me up, myself off for, for example, again, that Tesla or something else. That's a that's good. That's a feature. And I've seen that with, with our stuff, right? We've been in business for 25 years. We've been involved in all sorts of projects that have rubbed people either exactly the right way or exactly the wrong way. And I've had plenty of conversations to people who once upon a time went like, you know what? I didn't care that much for your stuff. Then my context changed. My circumstances changed. You launched a new version. Basecamp 3, for example, when that launched, I, I talked to a bunch of customers who went like, you know what? I didn't really care for the old version of Basecamp. It just, it didn't click for me. Then you guys put this out and it was exactly it. I went from being like, I don't care that much for Basecamp to I, I love what you guys are doing. And of course, it also goes in the other direction. And you have to accept that the tides flow. You, know, you can't control all of it. And you actually drive yourself crazy if you try. You drive yourself crazy if you try to hold on to every single customer you've ever earned for your dear life that you can never let them go. You become possessive and manical in your way of trying to keep them in. That's not... It's not flattering. It's not good. It doesn't serve the rest of the product. And on the same uh, token, on, on the other end, being open to letting people you might have had disagreements with in the past reconsider your stuff and then being thankful that perhaps they changed their mind and not holding a grudge, not being like, you know what? There was this one time you tweeted this one thing, whatever. Let's just look forward. Let's Look at the capacity of humans to change their mind as a fundamentally good thing and embrace it in all its forms. Okay, last question for you guys before we wrap up. If we're saying that a lot of people are making buying decisions based on the company and these like secondary byproducts, for someone who's listening, an entrepreneur, or maybe building a business, do you guys have any tips for how they can make those byproducts, those other things, really a competitive advantage? Like, how do they get that out into the world? Like, you're not just buying the product, you're also buying these other things. Maybe this is like a marketing question, but, you know, how can people let that be known? Well, I think you can promote those things. So you make a product and the, and the first thing you think about doing is just promoting the product, talking about what the product can do and how it works and all the things it does that the other things don't do or whatever. And that you should do that, I'm sure. But there's other things you should do too, which is build the brand. And I, I kind of 
don't even like that statement, but it's true. You got to build your brand and you got to build, which is basically what do you stand for? What does your company mean? What are you all about? And promote some of those things. So if it's customer service, it's really important. You make sure people know about that. It's not just like customer service comes with the product because most people's experience of the customer service is quite bad. So if you have something different to say about that, say it. Don't assume people will find out. Just say it. Be, make that part of what you're what you're out there promoting. So you've got to, you know, no one's going to promote you. I mean, yeah, eventually you might have some fans that are going to spread the word, but especially in the early days, it's on you to get the word out about the things that you think people should be paying attention to about you. And no one else is going to do that in the early days. So you got to figure out what's different about you, what, or not even different. It doesn't have to be different because you can promote something that's the same that no one else is promoting. And that's then a point of difference because no one else is talking about it. Figure out the things that you stand for that are important to you that you want to share and share those things. And I would also encourage people to, to teach as much as they can. So give things away that aren't, it doesn't feel like marketing. It's not like you're asking for something in return. You're not making a product or, or a service or whatever and constantly promoting that only. Because at some point, no one's going to listen to that. It's just, it's just marketing dribble at some point. But if you can share things, you can, you can share your story. You can show people how you're doing, what you're doing, or what you've done, or the struggles you have, or what happened last week in your business that was really hard for you. People start to pay attention to those things, and then you'll, you'll set up a, uh, another, again, another vector or another spider web, basically another, another ring rung in, in the, in the, whatever I'm, I'm throwing out a million metaphors here that some fly paper that someone can like snap onto that they wouldn't normally, because they would only normally be looking at the product. You got to put the things out there. You got to put the sticky paper out there so people can, can get stuck to you essentially. I think the other avenue of approaching this is the lens of retail politics. This idea that you have to engage with individuals on a one-on-one basis, even for a moment, even for a brief opportunity, is a way for you to build your reputation, to prove your reputation. I think this is one of the reasons why doing customer support is so important for founders in the early days. Don't be so quick to hire that out. I mean, we often talk about the fact that Jason did all the customer support at 37 Signals when we launched Basecamp for, I think, two years, maybe even two and a half years. And therefore had an opportunity to influence literally 200 people a day to what does it feel like to do business with this company when you're doing business with the founder who has all the power in the world to change the direction of the company in a tiny way or in a big way on account of your interaction with that person and to set things right. This is one of the things I always come back to this um Sentiment that if you go, for example, on a holiday and nothing bad happens, everything is fine, you're going to feel one way about it. You're going to feel better about that holiday if you go on it and something is wrong, the AC is broken, whatever. Something is busted, the food comes up wrong, but they fix it to a surprising degree of competence, that they fix it with extra care, with extra diligence. You actually go, I think, fonder on that experience and fonder of those people for being exposed to a quote-unquote failure state where they had an opportunity to correct it. So whenever those things pop up, oftentimes companies think of like, ah, the customer had a problem. We should actually think to some degree, at least as a frame of mind, wonderful, excellent. They had something that went wrong. Here's an opportunity for me to put it right in a way that will actually, if not blow them away, not everything can be that grand, but to really impart a sense of who are we? Who are we as a company? That's the kind of stuff when I relate my experiences with other companies and other products and other services, 
Those are often the stories. Those are the things that go viral. Let me tell you about what happened last week. I bought this pair of shoes from this company. They didn't ship the right thing, but then they overnight. That's the Sapo story. I just started the Sapo story. The whole idea that you can one-on-one create essentially a marketing effect by touching enough people with extraordinary care and extraordinary expression of your reputation, I think goes hand in hand with, let's talk about it to the broad masses. You're not going to get an opportunity to shake everyone's hand. But when you do get that opportunity, don't let it go to waste. I love that. Well, that is great advice. With that, we're going to wrap it up. Rework is a production of 37 Signals. You can find show notes and transcripts on our website at 37signals.com slash podcast. Full video episodes are available on YouTube and Twitter. And if you have a specific question for Jason or David about a better way to work and run your business, leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. You can also tweet that number. Yes? No. Text. You can text that number. <laughs> tweet us. I was like, that didn't sound right. Tweet. <laughs> leave us a voicemail at 708-628-7850. You can also text that number and we'll get those questions there too. Also, you can send us an email to rework at 37signals.com. <laughs>